The Canadian agriculture industry is quite diverse and includes sectors such as animal production, crop production, food processing, logistics and distribution. Not only does the industry play a big part in Canada, such as supplying 822 million dozen eggs or producing 378,000 tons of apples, the Canadian agriculture industry also plays a major part in the global agricultural supply chain, such as producing 85% of the world's maple syrup or being one of the top five wheat exporters on the planet. But what does the future hold for the industry and what challenges is the industry facing as the world population continues to grow? This podcast is brought to you by Dentons, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Hey everyone, welcome to the Dentons Agribusiness Podcast Series. My name is Chris Young. Just a reminder, subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're listening to. And don't forget to check out the results of our first ever egg tech pitch competition that we hosted in June. We got to meet many great agriculture innovators in Canada. We'll be featuring our presenting companies starting in the late fall. So make sure you subscribe to get notified whenever we have new content. In today's podcast, I wanted to get a better understanding of the Canadian agricultural industry and to talk about trends, opportunities, and challenges companies face in this industry. Joining me today is Sacha Musi, Director of Agribusiness and Agri-Food Market Development at ATB Financial. Welcome, Sasha. Thanks for having me, Chris. So before we begin, give us a little bit of background of what you do at ATB. Yeah, so um, as you mentioned, I'm the Director of Market Development uh, for our agribusiness and agri-food segment, uh, but I'm actually part of our agriculture team. So at ATB, we've got a, a relatively large group of, of Aggies that uh, support our producers quite aggressively, and, uh, and, and that's really where this is built out of. Um, my focus is really in that pre-farm and post-farm aspect, so that agribusiness and agri-food space. Uh, you know, when we say pre-farm, what we're talking about is those products and services that are provided down to the farm. So I support a lot of those businesses. And then the moment we take the uh, commodity out of the farm gate, I support any of the businesses from that initial processing and cleaning stage right through to uh, really retail. I'll stop typically at retail, but obviously we're looking at the full supply chain of food. Um, and uh, then on the primary side, we've got a group of about 20 plus relationship managers that really focus in on the on the producers. So really strong representation there. As for my role, it's also a little threefold. You know, the market development thing is is, is what's most interesting here. So. At first, I play a role for the financial institution as a subject matter expert in agribusiness and agri-food and understanding that full supply chain um, from beginning to end. Secondly, we try to provide that level of expertise back to our prospects, clients, and partners. We want to be a, a big partner in this, and so using our expertise and sharing our expertise is, is key for that. And then the third and probably most relevant part of this is that market development piece. Uh, because so much of this industry is still very much developing or there's a lot of growth in it, it needs a lot of ecosystem support. And so I play a big role in that, whether that's connecting to supply chain partners, investors, other uh, corporate initiatives, it really doesn't matter. It's about getting the ecosystem, the strength that it needs to to build up and become commercial. And then hopefully that we can get behind that banking side of that business and, and maybe some of the other areas that we might be able to provide advice in. 
You know, what's interesting is you mentioned um, the full ecosystem and helping companies, you know, still connect, whether it's logistics or call it the farm to fork uh, type of process. You know, when, when we think about agriculture, you know, we think about an old standing traditional industry, uh, but hearing you talk about it, it seems like there's still lots developing. Can you talk a little bit about some of those trends, like what's developing in this industry, even though it's such a long-standing tradition in our country? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting way to kind of pick up on this conversation. Um, I think to the consumer and probably just general media, we hear about farm to fork so much, right? And we think about, okay, well, our farm to plate and how do we connect everybody to the food? And I, I think that's actually a really good uh, pullout on that is that entire supply chain is massive and there's a lot of things going on in its traditional sense. I think we've felt it really operate in its silos. So, you know, the producers are the producers, the grain handlers are the grain handlers and so on and so forth. And I think probably one of the biggest trends or changes that's been happening is really understanding that full supply chain from beginning to end. Um, and so that starts to play a role in distribution and logistics in, uh, in, in, in waste management, so many different areas, right? So if we look at this, um, I like to look at the food supply chain. I think a lot of people look at it very linearly, but it's actually got a little bit more of a circle or it, it can really play into that circular economy a lot more where um, some of the waste feeds as inputs. Um, so, you know, we start to see a lot of opportunities in waste management as, as compost plays a role in organic inputs. By no means am I saying that this is an ironclad solution, but we're seeing more and more opportunity pop up there. You know, we continue to see as, as, Canada has been recognized as a net exporter for this opportunity. How do we add more value onto um, our commodities and, and play a role there with the advancements of plant-based proteins? Um, you know, Alberta has a really significant role in all protein. One of the big things I think a lot of people get caught up, well, plant protein is the most exciting, you know, kind of future forward industry here. And in some cases that's true because there's a lot of growth opportunity in it. But as far as Canada is concerned, we're protein capital, whether that's uh, animal-based proteins or plant-based. And so we see a lot of opportunity on that side. COVID has obviously just highlighted a lot of what that supply chain is. I think that's the other thing too. Uh, a lot of us that have been in the industry for some time have been trying to break down those barriers and talk about the complete supply chain. COVID hits, people started to really realize how close it hits the home around, you know, where's my food come from? How do I ensure that I've got good food security? These kind of things. So uh, it really accelerated some of the innovations that have been building up over the last decade, whether that's direct to consumer, e-commerce, uh, traceability, all these different connections. I think, you know, there's a lot of little innovative circles that continue to pop up. And then the last place I'd probably touch is the crossover between industries. It's a really large industrial sector. Um, it's probably the least digitized still, almost on a global scale. So what can we bring in from the tech industry? What can we bring in from the energy industry? There's a lot of innovations. And so I think there's some really interesting overlaps there as well. Yeah, it's interesting because when we when we launched our ag tech pitch competition at Denton's, you know, that's the first thing I, I found out was that the agriculture industry is a lot more diverse. And, you know, there's, as you mentioned, like everything uh, almost seems like beyond just what we know traditionally of the egg sector. So that's one of the very interesting I found is that this, if you in encapsulate all of it, it's it's a much larger and significant sector than I think we all realize, uh, to your point, just reading the media about what, you know, is presented to us from an agriculture standpoint. 
Yeah, and, and it's interesting, you know, everybody directly related to food. It's not always food. Industrial materials play such a big role here. The collaboration of petrochemicals and industrial uh, biocomposites, there's a lot of opportunity there. So you're, you're 100% right, Chris. I think uh, we need to continue to look at those different opportunities and realize that our food, and, you know, called biomaterials touch so many parts of our life. Yeah. So when we take a look at all of it, uh, could you give us a sense of kind of the size, if we want to encompass all this of the ag market you know what are we looking at for export import i i guess where i'm getting at is what what's the overall significant i want to present the significance you know of this sector on our canadian economy yeah this is a fun part of the conversation for me i think that's the other piece is we a don't understand you know the silos and all the different natures of the industries or the segments within but then the next is the size of it right and it, it's a little hard to track in some cases because it's pretty easy to track what we excuse me, what we produce as, as farmers and what comes off the field <clears throat> and then what we value add. But then there's this big gap in the middle around innovation from farm through to fork. And that's, you know, that could be in the tech space, that could be in the manufacturing space. So it's a little hard to, to fully scale out. But, you know, when we think about it, just from an Alberta space, you know, farm cash receipts are always kind of, at least for like the last couple of years, have been circling around that 14 to $15 billion. Um, so that's what's coming off the field. And then we export a lot of raw commodity, but even just out of this province, we do about $15 billion of value add on top of that, right? And so, yes, I'm going to be straight up about this. Half of that is in the meat industry, without a doubt, and with some of our major players like JBS, Cargo, and whatnot. So, you know, about $6.5 billion of, of food manufacturing sales are tied up in, in, in meat processing. The other half of that really comes in on the on the other food categories, and that could be anything from you know potato processing through to plant-based proteins and, and different protein options. Um, wheat, I think you cited that as a big one. You know, we're a massive exporter of wheat, but we also value add some of that into the pasta ingredients that we all love. Um, and uh, and then there's beverage as well, which is a bit of a smaller component. Yes, there's a massive brewery industry or microbrew industry here. Um, and that's part of the equation for sure. But uh, beverage is probably not the leading segment on that. And then we come back to that innovation space. And probably the biggest value we've been able to put to that is actually just watching it on a global scale. You know, if we look back, not even 10 years ago, so around 2012, uh, we saw investment globally in agri-innovation around $2 billion, you know, barely scratching the surface. And then over the next pretty well eight years, it, it scaled up to roughly about $20 billion. So good growth. Most of that growth would be in the last few years. And then because of COVID, we saw a bump up to, to 30 million investments. So we saw a third of the investment, total global investment ramp up in the last 18 months. Wow. And so it's, it's really interesting because you see it's so much capital coming into it. I think, uh, you know, we can touch base on this a little bit later, but one of the, the challenges is access to capital. So that investment indicator is really interesting for us because we can see the growth of the segment, we can see capital moving into it, and now we can start to see even the maturity of it. We're seeing IPOs, we're seeing different versions of businesses and, and how, they're, how they're scaling up through their commercialization. So, you know, it, it's a massive opportunity. The numbers, other than the investment numbers I cited, were just Alberta numbers, you know, if we look at this on a national scale across Canada, every, you know, Ontario, Quebec, it essentially goes Ontario, Quebec, and then Alberta from a, a production value and, and, and total number, but they can, they can compete at that price, uh, at that, those dollar values, if not higher. So it goes to show how big the segment is nationally as well. 
Yeah. Well, and I think when you see investment dollars dive into it, it's it's also the importance of that market, right? Like, like we, we all eat, we all need food, um, and there's everything that supports that. So uh, to your point, the challenges then, you know, that we're, that I want to talk a bit about, uh, you know, we can start with the capital side, but we're also, you know, recently seeing a lot of reports on extreme weather conditions, right? And how that affects, you know, the agriculture sector. So maybe you can start with the capital uh, side of things. You know, what are the challenges we're seeing for the agriculture industry? Yeah, you know, and, and capital is an interesting one. Obviously, coming from a financial institution perspective, um, I've got to be mindful of the different areas of capital. I think that's the big thing that people get caught up with. Um, they think about banks in general or other financial institutions like ATB and say, well, why aren't you there at the early stage? And, at the end of the day, that's not always the bank's role, right? That's where early stage capital comes into play, whether that's angel or VC or whatever that looks like. Private equity even probably move the needle a little bit and come in, coming in a little bit earlier. And so one of the primary reasons I came to ATBU uh, three and a half years ago was to start addressing this capital issue. And, and we recognized that it couldn't be addressed directly from the banking perspective. So it had to be collaborative with investors and whatnot. So we've worked really closely with those groups and we've worked with a lot of the ecosystem, whether this be the Calgary Economic Development of the world or um, even even the federal economic development agencies in these groups to get the message out there that there's opportunity in here, that the scale is right. Um, and that's really been bringing capital in, especially as of late. Uh, but you know, there's there's two things to it. It's the capital to help commercialize. I think, you know, that's early stage stuff. And that gets really scary for a lot of investors because it's not cash flow guaranteed, right? We need to get through some of those opportunities. And so I understand the hesitancy of some of the capital. Some of this is big capex as well. Even if we're talking about purely innovation and technology, the development funds are, are massive. You need a lot of funding for development and then trials. Um, those trials have much longer timelines than traditional technology, given the growing season, the seasonality of this industry, right? I can only, if it's ag tech, I can only test it once, maybe twice a year in kind of the Northern hemisphere. Um, and on typical technology, I want to test it a hundred times before I commercialize it. So that's a really interesting gap that needs to be closed on the value add side. It really runs into large CapEx. And I think, um, you know, maybe repositioning our understanding of the ROI opportunity. It's not necessarily about, I mean, it is absolutely about ROI on the dollar value, but I think the timelines is what's different. People are not used to the timelines. To scale up these opportunities, they take a little longer. Their margins are a little bit thinner in the beginning. And so the ROI has got a longer timeline. The one thing that we recognize in this industry and looking at a lot of the, of the stats, historically, you know, over the last three, four decades, this segment has consistently grown year over year. When it has a bad year, it's tied typically to a harvest. We won't get too deep into that this year because I think we've got an interesting harvest coming on now, but you're going to probably see a bit of a dip in the numbers. It doesn't mean it was a dip in demand. It was a dip in supply. And so as we get through some of these challenges, we'll see capital start to narrow itself out and, and, and move forward on a, a longer picture. This is a really stable industry. It continues to grow. It continues to give a return, but it has a different uh, portfolio flavor, I think, on the capital side. You know, and and this is, and I've been in private equity before, right? And and it's always adjusting the story and, and telling it in a different way to try to get investors to fully understand some of the nuances of the industry. But like, you know, how, how do companies overcome that capital challenge and, and getting investors to kind of shift and pivot their mindset about investing in agriculture? It's a tough question. Um <laughs> You know, with, with you being in private equity, I think you probably would have known this the most, right? It's it, like... It, it's soft answers to a lot of that. It's not a hard metric answer. And, uh, you know, probably the, the best 
solution that we see out there is ecosystem support. So that's playing a role on all on all parties, right? Government, industry, investors, everybody getting their hands into this. That's how you're going to be able to scale this up. It's it's not a, a complete world of unicorns, I guess, is the big message that I can put out there. There are unicorns, absolutely. Um, some of them get the right market, and that's what the unicorns about. It's not necessarily company value always, and that's fine. We need to, we need capital to come into this. We need good returns, so more capital comes in. That's fine. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about sharing the risk. I think that's what it comes down to more than anything, just because these are large dollars that need to be invested, and because of the longer timelines, um, we want to see more of that. And, and and we do see that. You know, we're seeing the feds play a bigger role in it. We know that the provinces and some of their uh, agency partners are really supportive of this industry. In my time here, I've, I've really, in the last three four years, seen a lot more capital on the on the public end move into this space. Um, groups like ATB and other kind of crown corps are getting more involved. So I think as we see that happen more, you'll start to see investor appetite increase. And, and, and that's inevitable. I mean, we've seen more capital from less ag-focused funds moving into the market. Sustainability is obviously such a big one here. And I think back to the circular economy piece, food has a role to play in there. So there is a bit of a corporate social responsibility or impact investing angle to this. At the end of the day, it still comes down to returns. And so how do we share the risk to make sure that everybody can you know, come out on top on this? It doesn't need to be the most lucrative right out of the gate, but it needs to, it needs to pay out. Yeah. You know, some of the uh, similar industries I've seen go through, you know, where it's it's tough to pinpoint ROI at the beginning is like the water industry. Um, but now we're starting to see some big players come in and they've created a business model where there is cash flow, um, you know, from filtration products to maintenance of water treatment centers. But, you know, at the beginning, it was very slow. It was like, where do we get our return? Like this, this will take forever to develop, but it's a key essential resource for life. And I see food as an agri- agriculture as the same thing. Yeah. And I think probably one of the best examples of that, and I got to be careful how deep we go into this, but is the carbon market space, right? Yeah. Um, not a hugely lucrative return today on, on any level, whether it's the producer or um, the value adders along the supply chain. But as that market builds out and we understand the essential need of food and its role in the environment, you're going to see a natural monetization come out of a lot of this. Yeah. Now you deal a lot with companies, obviously with clients uh, going through ATB Financial. Is there any unique stories you can share with us? You know, I, I was thinking about this because you did give me a bit of a precursor to, to think about it. And I mean, I, I can't necessarily cite clients through and through but there are definitely even on the on the trends discussion as we talk about it you know we're seeing a lot of the a lot of companies pop up on the on the on the topical trends and whether it's controlled environment agriculture so indoor farming um you know one of the things i didn't cover is that i also support our team on the cannabis and hemp side of the industry so we you know in the cannabis space obviously controlled environment agriculture got a, a little bit of an uptick there but we still support it quite heavily on the produce side of it. So we see quite a few businesses doing interesting things in controlled environment agriculture across the province. You know, even as we talk about capital, we saw a lot of product or a lot of capital move into this space in the last year, just around food sovereignty. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars and, and conventionally we saw millions of dollars show up in this space. So that's an interesting uptick. I think that's going to be really interesting as we look at the division on controlled environment agriculture from a tech providing solution to a farmer. Am I a farmer of an indoor farm or am I a tech provider? Am I both? We're watching that kind of separate itself right now because I think 
you know, how do you compete when you're a technology developer working on pennies against somebody who just raised a few hundred million dollars or a SPAC that just supported these kind of things as it, as it grows? Right. Um, so we see companies in that space and, you know, controlled environment ag to us is not just about the produce. There's uh, there's a, not, not necessarily a client of ours, but a good contact of ours um, with Enterra Feed. They're a bug facility in Balzac just out of Calgary, probably one of the biggest in North America. They produce black fly larvae uh, for the intention of, you know, poultry, bird, and, uh, and and fish feed. Really interesting. Again, when I when we think about protein sources, right, the bug itself is a protein source, but it's also a feed source for other proteins that we might be eating. So we see a lot of opportunity there. Carbon and sustainability is starting to play a big role here. So we're seeing more players uh, involved in that. We're seeing some of the legacy players out of the energy industry be more involved in that, which makes sense. They've got platforms. They've got you know, the technology to support a carbon market. They just now need to think about the inputs a little bit differently. And then uh, probably the last two areas where we've seen a lot of opportunity pop up is the supply chain. So, you know, whether it's direct to consumer or how we manage the supply chain, how that product gets moved around, how many touch points there are and how to make that more efficient has become really important, not only on sustainability, but just cost efficiencies. Um, We know, and this is less of an issue. I still think it's a pretty big issue, but a lot of issues with not full truckloads moving around this country. Um, How do we share this? You know, one of the opportunities in value added food, especially as it relates to logistics is we're not as food companies competing with our neighbors in our cities or even in, in, in inside of Calgary or Calgary versus Edmonton. We are competing on a global stage and we need to play that role of collaboration here to, to build it off. So we're starting to see more companies pop up there. And then the last and probably most dominant space is in plant-based proteins. Um, it's, a, it's a nascent industry on the value-add side. Uh, we've seen some big announcements with the likes of Roquette and Merritt um, in, in uh, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, but uh, we'll continue to see more value add there as we continue to produce that product. There's some interesting companies that have come in from the UK. I think, you know, lovingly made ingredients or meatless farms. They're in Calgary now. They're in the value add space of plant-based protein. I love their story. They're huge proponents of everything protein. Yeah. It sounds like a lot more collaboration needed too amongst industries to find more synergies to utilize, as you said, like even on the logistics side, right? How do we work together to compete on a global scale? Uh, That in itself could be a solution. Absolutely. And I think it's on us as, uh, you know, service providers and capital providers to start looking at that as well, right? You think about companies, um, and again, not citing clients, just citing companies in general, like somebody like an Atabotics out of Calgary, who's done great um, in the logistics space. I mean, they were a food solution for Gordon Food Services. Right. Um, that, that's, a, that's a food opportunity if we think about it, right? And so we just need to understand what we're touching and how we get behind some of the support mechanism. If you're in the supply chain or uh, logistics and distribution space and you're not thinking food, you're missing out on an entire segment of your industry, yeah. right? Um same goes for waste management. Same goes for energy consumption. As we talk about controlled environment agriculture, the two biggest costs for them is energy and labor. Um, the way to solve labor is going to be through automation. Well, that's going to consume more energy. So how do we play better with energy and, and utilize the energy infrastructure we have here to do it in a more sustainable and efficient manner? Well, clearly a lot of areas we can cover, Sasha. Uh, definitely, you know, look forward to having you back on the podcast and we can definitely pick from the abundance of topics that we've brought up on this one. Uh, but I'd like, to do, I'd like to thank you for your time today and sharing your insights about the agriculture sector. 
Yeah, no, happy happy to uh, to be a part of this and happy to see more and more organizations get involved. So anything we can do to support the advancement of this sec- sector is, is big for me. So uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, a link to ATB Financial can be found in the podcast description as well as Sasha's contact if you're a business in the sector looking to connect. Thanks everyone for taking the time to join us today on the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast through whichever platform you're using to listen to this episode. And don't forget to add your email to our Denton's contact list so you can be notified anytime we have new content. Take care and we will catch you on our next episode.